Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders. How is everybody doing out there in crowdfunding land? It is me, your host, Mr. Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel, coming at you, not live, but coming at you still through the wonderful, wonderful sounds and waves of podcasting. So it's been a couple weeks. You can see we're kind of slowing down a little bit on our how our frequency of podcasts. Um, couple couple of variables to that right now. I kind of wanted to explain a little bit if you've noticed that we're not doing the two a week like we were doing. One thing is is that it was we were just coming out of a slow time. Not a lot of campaigns are launching or getting funded uh, through December and January. I expect this to start picking right back up again here um, shortly. Second thing you're seeing is is that. Um, kind of a trend we're seeing is that there isn't that many um, successful campaigns right now. So hint, hint, you've got to do a lot of extra work before you go ahead and launch. So um, do your homework uh, to get those ca- those campaigns to be successful or consider maybe possibly working with an agency to help you if you don't know what you're doing. So, all right. So that's what's going on here. So a l- little bit more, a uh, little less frequent, but content is still awesome. So um, who do we have on today? That is a great question, Jeff. Today we're going to be talking to Joshua Montgomery. I said it right? Yeah, Joshua Montgomery. And his company is mycroft.ai um, is the website. Mycroft is the product. And he has created a uh, open source voice assistant platform. Um, it is a hardware product, very similar to um, stuff that you've seen out there, like the, I think it's the Amazon Echo or the, the Apple um, HomePod, I think that's coming. So it's in that ballpark, but this one's open source. And Joshua was an unbelievable interview. Again, I want to thank him so much for uh, for coming on the episode. Um, he is a veteran in the entrepreneur world in the startup land. Um, this is his, I believe, second or third company. I think it's his second company for sure. Um, and he had a ton of insight. So definitely stick around for the interview that's going to be coming up later. But as you know, this is my opportunity to kind of go through some, get some thoughts and what's kind of you know, catching you up to speed of what's going on in, in, over here at One Wins Away. Um, so yeah, hold on. The, the interview's coming, but I've got to be selfish, right? I got to take my selfish time and, and, and talk about what's going on with me and the agency and stuff like that. So, so I thought today, you know, for, my, for a couple minutes in the intro here, I, I wanted to talk a little bit of um, you know, what is it like actually running an agency? And I think it's an important thing to think about when you as the um, potential person doing crowdfunding to understand what might be going on at the agency level so that you can better outfit yourself to work together and have a successful uh, outcome, right? Because that's the ultimate goal. If both parties want it to be successful, right? There's tons of reasons to be successful. Nobody wants failure. So, so I thought it would be important so that you guys know what's happening on my end, right? What are my day-to-days looking like? Um, so just like you, I'm also running a company, right? We have employees. We have um, bills going in and out. We have all the same challenges you guys have, which is, I think, is important thing to remember is that we're not you know, some magical beast that's not um, not dealing with the same problems you're dealing with. We're dealing with scale. We're dealing with um, chasing money, all that sort of stuff. So, so I wanted to kind of like in, in a in a typical week for somebody like myself as like the CEO or you know the 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 whatever you want to call it, the, you know, a person who's wearing 25 hats, right? I'm spinning a bunch of plates. So my weeks consist of quite a few things, right? So the first thing is for any business, I have to get leads right? And you have to get backers. So we're in that same boat of really going out and finding um, people that are interested in what we're working on. So again, we are both fighting that same battle. You're looking for backers. I'm looking for leads. How am I getting those leads? Well, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. I'm cold emailing. I'm making content. The podcast is a great opportunity. I'm running Facebook ads, Google ads. So I'm creating all this content around me so that when anybody in the world thinks, you know, I, I think I, I've got a great product. I want to crowdfund. Who should I go to? Boom. They go to a guy who's talking about it day in and day out, who's eating, breathing, sleeping it, right? And I think you guys who listen to this podcast or are around me know that I am doing that, right? Like there's not a day that, there's probably not a minute that goes by that I haven't thought about something to do with crowdfunding, right? And ultimately for your project, you kind of got to be in that same boat. 
When the interview comes up here with Joshua, you're going to hear he's thinking like that, right? He is all consumed into this product. He talks about it a couple times, right? Um, and for your product, you've got to be the same way. So again, my frustration levels come from when I'm, you know, doing either lead calls or or we have a client who's just like, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm not really 100% sure about my product. Huh? Y- you know, do yourself a favor, go find something else to do. So that's a big part of my days, right? Leads, creating content and and just continuing to put this sort of vibe out into the world that I know what I'm doing and I do this each and every day. Second thing that comes out is I actually still have to produce results. So all the first thing is pointless if I'm not producing results. So behind the scenes, we've still got to have ads that are converting, email sequences that are getting great open rates, um, videos that look amazing and are doing what we want them to do, building great Kickstarter pages. You know, we've got to be delivering successful campaigns. So, you know, it's easy to just gloss over that if I put all my effort into just getting leads and then you know it slips a little bit on the actual producing results. So we've got to make sure that we're always producing results. Third thing, and this is the worst thing, and luckily I've, ha- uh, I've been fortunate enough to have my wife uh, jump on board with this portion of it, but prior to her doing it, chasing money. And I know that that's not a sexy thing to talk about and it's, you know, but as an agency, you are constantly chasing money, especially in the product, in the types of clients and, and uh, agency we're built on, we're built within the startup land. So everybody's cash reserves are incredibly low. So we spend quite a bit of time here at the agency actually tracking down unpaid invoices, not fun work. Now, I, I bring that up because I want you to know that that's what we're dealing with. If we're not getting paid, our mindset and mental shift into your company will sometimes change. It's just human nature. And you would be doing the same thing. And, and I think it's important that you realize these relationships you, that you create with your manufacturers or the people producing your stuff or your coder who's making the thing. Man, you want them to have an amazing experience around your, uh, around your brand. So, you know, so again, something that's going on here at the agency, a lot is chasing money. Not fun to do. And then what's the next thing? Sort of our fourth thing that I have to sort of think about is I also have to think about what scale looks like. Inside of, of Woodshed, um, one of the things that, that has been a struggle for me personally over the last, you know, actually about 15 years, really my last two companies, is, you know, this idea of thinking that I'm taking over the world, right? And it's a nice idea to have, but then you have to start looking at what are your actual true resources, money in the bank, your, uh, you know, your, obviously your cash flow, getting your leads. How much can you actually pull off, right? Do you have kids, family, whatever that might be? So what is actually scaling to profitability? Over the kind of the, I wouldn't say this in news or resolutions, but this is definitely sort of a thought pattern that has been happening over here, over at Woodshed a little bit more is, is really thinking a little bit more about what does it look like to be a great profitable company that, yes, is doing, you know, has good returns, is hiring, you know, has five or six, maybe 10 employees, something like that. And it's just doing really good work. And do I need to have 70 employees? Do I need to, you know, get to the point where I've got big, huge loans out and I've got all these interest payments and I have those pressures? Is there a way to fit into this sort of, um, you know, microcosm of, of being an agency in crowdfunding with just producing good results, having great clients, and, and, and not being small, but sort of just being okay. And that's an interesting thing because I don't know how many entrepreneurs are capable of sort of putting their mindset in that thing, right? So examples, you might make a product that's really great for a certain niche, right? Well, that niche, you're never going to get 100% market share of that niche. That's pretty, pretty rare. Those are the unicorns out there. Those are the Facebooks, the Googles of the world, right? Like, uh, are you going to be that? And it's not dissing your abilities or your products, but I think, I think there's something comfortable in thinking about, well, what if you're just a good business, right? Just being a good business. So we think about that all the time here at Woodshed. It's Again, I, for me personally, it's on my mind all the time is just being a good business. And I think for you, it's important to hear that so that when you're approaching Kickstarter, Indiegogo, crowdfunding, equity, whatever it might be, is that you know, you're really thinking about where you truly are in the steps of your journey, right? You have a business journey, a startup journey. Where are you really at, right? And if you can do something where you're pulling, you know, you, you, again, you've got your niche and let's just say you're pulling half a market share or something, like half a point, you know, not even 
you know? And I'll give you an example. In Groovebox Studios, our previous company, we had a 1% market share for two th- for between 2010 to 2013 of all the successful Kickstarter campaigns in the world. That meant, and again, you can say, oh, it's only 1%. But that was the equivalent of us being Volkswagen in the car dealership world or being Wendy's. That's how much crowdfunding we were doing during that time period. So that, I mean, if you just think about it, you know, if there was, yeah, 500 campaigns going out, we had five of them that were being successful, right? So really, really uh, kind of just when, when we stood back on those numbers thinking about it, it was just like, man, we didn't even realize at the time that we were a big company, even though we, we, we weren't. It was just Sean and I and a couple other interns helped doing this, but we were still creating that big of a wave. And you might have to be thinking that same way. Even if you had a 1% market share of, of your niche audience, you might be a gigantic company. So, I don't know, I brought this up. I've, I've been thinking about it. You know, I know it's kind of, I don't say it's airing our dirty laundry, but I thought it was important that, that you hear about what happens inside of an agency behind the scenes. You know, what problems we're dealing with, what it's like to be on this side of the equation, um, and how you are a factor in some of our thought patterns. So, yeah, so that's what's going on here. I thought that would be a good conversation to have because coming up on my interview with Joshua, we're going to dive deep into the entrepreneur world and how to start up a company and how to, and here's the thing, here's why I brought this up too. I mean, when you look at what Joshua's making, he's trying to compete and he is competing with Google and Facebook and Apple. He's competing with these people, Amazon. He's competing with them. That's awesome, right? And it was a really inspiring conversation. So before we get to the interview, couple couple uh, housekeeping things. If you enjoy the podcast, go over to iTunes and Stitcher and subscribe. Also, tell friends and family members. Go right now. Say, you know, while you're eating dinner tonight, you know, you, man, I listened to this great episode. Uh, you guys got to check it out. Go subscribe. I'll, I'll forward you the. I'll forward it to you. Go grab your iPhone. You forward it while while you're eating the mashed potatoes. Um, so go go do that for me. That would be awesome. Next things. What else is on the list? Well. There is a successfully funded mini cast that's also up on iTunes right now. So this is some new technology. I'm using the app Anchor.fm. Go check out that app if you're interested in this. But you can also go to iTunes and subscribe to that as well. So each day I'm going to be putting out some mini episodes. We're just going to dive into a few things here and there. Um, we're not going to go as deep as we do with these types of interviews. This is sort of our long form uh, uh, episodes. But if you want just quick snippets of what's going on in the crowdfunding world, subscribe to that and daily. I will be giving you some some Jeff Wenzel stuff. So, um, all right, awesome. So, go ahead and uh, go do those things for me right now. I'd appreciate it. If you need more info, go to woodshed.agency. Um, all right, all right. I think I've done enough of my housekeeping. So, let's go ahead and kick to my conversation with Joshua, and we're going to be talking about Mycroft. Uh, thanks for taking an interest in our campaign. Cool. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Well, let's start off. Let's uh, let's let's uh, for my own end do a little sound check here. So, uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, the, for breakfast this morning, we had fruit crepes with two eggs over easy in lovely Pacifica, California. After watching the blue blood supermoon sink into the ocean, so it was a it was a great morning. Oh, very nice. Good morning. That sounds yeah. like a great morning. Now, did you make those? or? No, we went yeah. to a, a nice little restaurant uh, in Rockaway Beach uh, right there on the ocean. So, um, you know, very yeah, cool. it was a good day. That sounds like a good morning. I, I had uh, I had an egg on some toast this morning. I, I didn't I didn't do anything fancy on this Wednesday. So. No, admittedly, I did get up at 4.30 a.m. so that we could go watch the Blood Moon. So there is that piece of it. Woo. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, I think, isn't it, I, you know, I'm in Detroit. I think we're supposed to have a big night for it tonight to see it, right? Is that true or is it, was it last night? Um, you guys might get the, might get the, uh, you probably won't get the blood moon because that was the eclipse. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was um, yeah, we simultaneously the blue moon. So the second one in the, in the cycle or in the month and then a super moon that was close to the earth. And then it also went into the earth's shadow and turned red, blood red, which was kind of cool. Right, 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 right. That's right. We, we, I think we just get the full moon tonight, or, or like the heart, the big moon yeah. is what I think we're supposed to get. The super to. moon. This. Well, very, very yeah. cool. Yeah, the super moon. That's right. There's the, I, I don't know if that's a technical term, but yeah, the super, super moon. moon. Yes. <laughs> no, 
Well, very cool. Well, why don't we start off with, uh, why don't you tell my listeners uh, what you're currently raising money for on Kickstarter? Sure. So we're raising a Kickstarter for the Mycroft Mark II. The Mark II is a smart speaker uh, similar to an Amazon Echo or a Google Home device, but it is open source. Uh, You can customize it and it is focused on user privacy and agency. Hmm. Interesting. So that seems like that's a pretty big undertaking um, in terms of who you're competing against in this market. So what does this thing look like? Like, how do you describe it to, to people who can't see it right now? Sure. The Mark II is a little bit bigger than a 20-ounce soda bottle. It sits on a counter. It's got a four-inch uh, screen on it with a touchscreen. Uh, great, uh, great sound quality, both for recording and for playing music. Uh, and it's designed to sit in your kitchen or at your bedside table or in your office and be your personal assistant uh, throughout the day. So, like, walk me through, like, I guess in your mind, how does the perfect user use this thing? What What am I doing in my daily life that makes this, this better? You know, how, how does it kind of function in my life? Sure. So you walk into the kitchen in the morning and you're making an egg or you're, you're boiling uh, uh, pasta for dinner. And you say, set a timer for nine minutes. Uh, you know, the kitchen gets a little quiet. So you, play, you ask it to play some music. So maybe play some jazz or play some rock and roll. Um, you know, you... You get up in the morning and you're kind of bleary eyed and you ask it, you know, what's my calendar look like for the day? And it feeds that information back to you. Uh, and then it can help with more complicated things like, you know, doing math. You know, what's 3,529 times seven, you know, if you're working your taxes. Um, the, right. The idea is... Yeah, that's coming. Yeah, absolutely. The idea is it's an, it's an assistant that behaves just like uh, a human assistant. Um, and our eventual goal as a community is to build an artificial intelligence that runs anywhere. So not just our smart speaker, but also on your mobile device, on your desktop computer, uh, in an automobile, uh, wherever you happen to be uh, working or living, uh, and interacts exactly like a person. That when you're having a conversation with the voice assistant, you can't tell whether or not you're talking to a human assistant or a computer. Wow, that's very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, I'm sure you guys get this question quite a bit, but I mean, how do you um, say that you're different than um, the Amazon Echo or Google Homes or Apple's? Doesn't Apple have the new HomePod coming out here soon? Like, how, how do you answer those sort of questions in terms of different, uh, making yourself different? Sure. So, all of those companies, big tech is building great technologies in the voice space, and they clearly have a goal that's very similar to ours. Uh, the difference is we're not trying to monetize you in some other way, we're not trying to sell you paper towels. I'm not trying to sell you uh, consumer electronics. I'm not trying to be your search provider and spy on every aspect of your online life. Uh, Our goal is to provide you with the best voice assistant possible and to do it in a way that preserves your privacy uh, and in a way where your agent, your voice assistant, it represents you. And I can give you a great example of that. When when you ask one of these devices for a ride share, uh, I wanted to provide the rideshare that's the best price and the closest to my home, right? Um, and with our voice assistant, as we build this technology, that's what you'll get. With a lot of the other platforms, there's a lot of questions about which rideshare you get. You get the one that paid them to be the default rideshare provider, even if it's going to take them longer and be more expensive. Um, the reality is that these technologies that we're building, both us and, and big tech here in the Valley, um, are going to be pervasive, They're going to touch you on almost every screen that you interact with the digital world in. And that raises the question, do you want the voice agent that has access to all your email, your calendar, all your music, everything you do all day? Do you want that voice agent to represent you or a technology company? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, well, you know, walk me through a little bit. Um, What's under the hood on this? Like, how does this connect? How is it working? How do I integrate this into my life? Sure. So this is a, a technology that's very similar to, uh, actually, the, the Raspberry Pi. It was the original. The Mark I was based on Raspberry Pi. Um, it's got uh, a lot of processing power. It's got the screen. It's uh, got a microphone array, which makes it very, very good at recognizing its wake word. Um, and then it's got a great speaker for, for playing music. Uh, in our case, you can rename it. Um, the default name is Mycroft, so you would say, "Hey, Mycroft, uh, play Best of the '80s Reloaded Radio on Pandora," right? And it will um, load Pandora and find your Best of the '80s stream and start playing that music. Um, 
But of course, we allow customization. So you could rename it Trinity. You know, hey, Trinity, uh, play my favorite playlist from Spotify. Uh, and in both of those cases, you know, the, the user makes the decision what to name it, and then the user makes the decision which music service to use. Uh, in the case of the HomePod, it's my understanding that the only streaming service it will support out of the box is Apple Music. Well, some people use Pandora. Some people use Spotify. We want to give those users a choice. Yeah. Right, right, right. Very cool. So, so you mentioned the Mark One. What is the big difference between the Mark One and the Mark Two? Uh, the Mark One was designed for hackers, makers, and software developers uh, who are part of our online community and are helping us to build this technology. So it had a lot of I.O., it had RCA ports, it had an Ethernet jack on the back of it. It was really designed for um, for very technical users. Uh, the Mark II is being designed for everyone. It's being designed for my grandma um, as well as for you know people who are, are technology folks who are interested in improving the technology. Very cool. So how did you get into designing open voice assistant products? I mean, that's not just something I, I feel like you start in your garage one day. Like, like where, where, where's, the, where's the start of this idea? Oh, so we, we have a makerspace and we wanted to add Jarvis from Iron Man to our makerspace so we could have it play movies on the screen or have it play music or answer questions, you know. Uh, and we went looking at the state of the art and realized that the the technologies that big tech was deploying were not customizable, would not let us do what we wanted to do with them. And there really wasn't an open alternative. And so we started a project to build an open alternative, um, decided to see if anybody actually wanted to buy it. So we went to Kickstarter um, and we closed our first Kickstarter at $127,000, uh, which has really became the seed money that allowed us to create a, a great company that's building great technology. That's cool. That's cool. So what, what though, you know, when you're working on something like this, I mean, it just, to, in my mind, as somebody who who's plays a, a lot with startups and, and coaches them, this one just feels like such a huge undertaking. What are those sort of like first steps to start manufacturing a product in, in the tech field like this, right? So yes, Google and Apple, they have, they have all the resources on the planet to do something like this. But for, for um, a smaller company, what are sort of first steps to, to get something like this off the ground prototypes and testing and, you know, gosh, it just seems like such a big undertaking. Well, step one, uh, just like any good startup, is to first find out if anybody wants to buy it. And that's the, <laughs> the place right. where, where Kickstarter plays a great role, because with Kickstarter, you can do a, a very loose prototype and take it to market and see if anybody actually wants to buy your product. And that kind of gives you the yeah. proof point to see if, if you really should build it. Um, and from that point, you know, you want to start building a team. You want to find competent people who share your passion um, and you want to communicate to those people uh, why what you're doing is important, what the vision for both the company and the product is and get them enthusiastic so that they can help to advance the technology. In our case, uh, we were very lucky. Uh, Sean Fitzgerald was one of our backers in our original Kickstarter and Sean was the first technical hire at Siri, and he was the second engineer assigned to the Amazon Echo project. And so by the time wow. Sean joined our community, um, or joined our company, uh, he had already built two complete voice assistant stacks. And you know he looked at the software that we had written, and he kind of he shrugged and kind of grinned at us, ar archived it, and started <laughs> over. So um, so yeah, you know the the goal, as with any other company, is to attract. Uh, smart people who are passionate about the vision of the company and to put all those people in a room and help organize them to get something done. Wow. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh, uh, now, were you openly looking for somebody or did he just happen to back and, and that relationship just kind of naturally happened? Uh, the relationship naturally happened. He was a backer and we were, you know, after the Kickstarter finished, we were, you know, we understood that we did not have all the skills we needed in-house and so we started looking for talented people who wanted to join the team um, who could do that on financial terms that we were able to meet. Um, you know, the, sure. the other thing when in terms of startup journey that that drove is, you know, the sec successful Kickstarter caused Techstars to reach out. And so Techstars brought us into their accelerator program. We went through that program, which allowed us to uh, close our first uh, big deal, which was with uh, Ubuntu, the open source um, uh, operating system. And then from there, you know, we were able to raise angel money. Jaguar Land Rover came in as an investor. We joined 500 startups. We raised a seed round. Um, you know, the, the Kickstarter really became 
well, what it's supposed to be, right? It, it kickstarted the effort, and that $127,000 became $2.5 million after a couple of years. And that's what allows us to have uh, 17 full-time staff members on staff to, to really pursue this in a serious way. Wow, that's great. I think that's actually an awesome lesson that you you just hinted on because uh, when you know for our clients or when I'm I'm kind of giving out advice, a lot of people look at Kickstarter as this all or nothing platform in ter- in terms of everything. Like I've got to raise two hundred fifty thousand dollars or whatever big number it is, as opposed to looking at all of the things that come off of the Kickstarter. Right? Like, yeah, the money is a part of it, but the relationships you make, the insiders, the the getting on people's radars that you exist in the world, I, that stuff can be more valuable than, you know, the hundred and what, whatever, what was it, 120 you, th- you said in, uh, in the first one? You know, it's not that much money in tech, you know? Um, so it sounds like all those other stuff was really a great benefit. Yeah. The, the Mark one cost $2 million to deliver and we shipped, we shipped about a thousand of them. So if you look at that, just numerically, each one of those Mark one units that our backers bought for $99 cost us $2,000 to deliver. Right. Wow. So, in terms of of leveraging your investment in a technology, Kickstarter is a great place to be because those backers got a lot of value above and beyond what their original um, contribution was, uh, because we were able to leverage investments from angel investors and and venture capital firms and accelerators all over the world. Now, going into that Kickstarter, did you have some inkling that? the you know the VC world or the, or the traditional funding routes were around you at least were you know were, were kind of sniffing at you a little bit or did you kind of have a hope like uh, they'll, they'll come after you know in the middle of the campaign or something like that uh, we were we were actually going to sweat it out as a small business and focus on doing the development with the open source community and it and it wasn't until TechStars reached out and said would you like to join the program and by the way I hung up on them. Like, you know, the, 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 one of the most prestigious accelerator programs in the world. And I told the guy, I was like, yeah, it sounds like a huge distraction. Like, I don't think we're interested. And hung up on it. Uh, and my team, talked, my team talked me into going back, and I'm, I'm glad they did. Um, but then, and then we got lucky, you know, before. Uh, so our technology doesn't predate Echo, but we were unaware of Echo. Like, it, you know, had we known, we might have just used Amazon's platform. Uh, you know, we... Nobody knew what we did. Like Echo was not a thing when we did this. And so it wasn't until the Super Bowl commercial that they ran in, in 2016. And I, I think they're running a big, another big one here in a few days. Um, yep, I thought. Yeah, it, it wasn't until then that people realized what we were building. Up until then, I had to tell, you know, people didn't, there was no concept of this in the public domain. So I would go to, you know, investors or partners or whoever and say, yeah, it's a speaker and you talk to it and it does stuff. And like it interacts and they would just kind of scratch their heads and be like, who is this guy and why am I talking to crazy? Right. And, uh, yep. and then the echo came out on, on, uh, uh, on the Super Bowl ad with Alec Baldwin. And all of a sudden, you know, it was the hottest technology uh, in the country. And then since then, it has actually become the fastest growing technology in the history of mankind. Smart speakers, wow. smart speakers are being distributed faster than the mobile phone, which was the, the prior fastest adopted technology globally it is um at this point this technology is spreading faster than reading and writing right and so it's a it's a really exciting place to be but um you know investors didn't know that when we got started like we it was it was amazon demonstrating the power of this technology that really that really pushed us into the limelight wow wow that's awesome so what's what's your background a little bit where'd you grow up I grew up in Little Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, graduated from Lawrence High School, went to the local university, University of Kansas, and uh, okay. and actually I built a, a gigabit broadband system in my hometown. Was what I was doing before. And uh, if you know anything about broadband, you know in 2004 it was really exciting because it was new. By the yep. time we did this in 2015, it, it's a utility service. It, it could not possibly be a more boring, boring. Uh, <laughs> Boring job. So we, I, I funded a center for entrepreneurship, so a makerspace with a co-working space and a data center all co-located, um, and then went recruiting other entrepreneurs in the community to come and join and, and basically just come hang out all day and play with 3D printers and laser cutters and wood shop and PCBs and whatever. And this came out of, of our, our entrepreneur center. It was, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Let's, let's run a Kickstarter and see if anybody wants to buy it. You know, like let's, let's get the proof. Right. next thing you know, the, 
you know, we've got all these people on staff and we're shipping globally. So it's, it's been a, been quite a ride. That's cool. That's cool. And what'd you like, what'd your parents do when you were growing up? Uh, my mom's a professor. My dad's a, a, a loan officer, was a loan officer with the SBA. Um, so, okay. so not a whole lot of entrepreneurship. However, I would, I would say my mom, <laughs> my mom started a company a few years ago and, uh, I recently helped him recruit a CEO and, and I think they're going to have a very big announcement here in the next week. Um, so her, her company might actually end up being bigger than my company. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to get her on the podcast. It's kind of embarrassing because, you know, I, I do entrepreneurship for a living and here she comes after a career as a professor and, and built a company that may, may or may not be more valuable than mine. So there you go. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, that uh, it sounds like too that um, that SBA, uh, your your dad working the SBA. That, that that's good to know too. Just that that exists and that was around and resources that they provide. Yeah, SBA can be a good uh, resource for entrepreneurs who have a, a more traditional business. Um, you know, I think that a, a lot of early stage entrepreneurs don't really understand um, how much proof and validation you need to have before banks are willing to work with you in a serious way. Yeah. Um, in many ways, the banking system primarily serves established businesses. If you're if you're building a brand new business from scratch, there's a, a much different approach that you have to take, and especially with um, newer techniques like lean startup and others, um, you're competing against guys who are are moving very very fast on very very thin resources. If you're starting a business, you need to position yourself to be that guy. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, we see it all the time where people are, you know, oh, randomly just calling us for advice on just, you know, just, well, I don't understand why a Bank of America won't talk to me. It's like, man, they're never going to talk to you. They're, you're, you know, like you're just, you're barking up the wrong tree. You got to think completely differently, you know? Yeah the, the, yeah, the the way to do this for the most part, um, at least for the businesses that I work with today, um, is to read Eric Reese's book, you know, take that to heart. Um, you know, read the innovator's dilemma. Think about where other companies around you are having struggles, you know, regarding innovation and come up with something and, and find the proof points. You know, for us, that was Kickstarter. I have a friend who ran a, 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 a smoke test for his business. He started a, a, a business that ships an app um, and he built the graphics for the app like on, on Photoshop, like for 100 or 200 bucks and then took it and sold it. And he so ended up selling, you know, picked up the phone, called a bunch of folks, ended up selling $3,000 a month in monthly recurring subscriptions to an app that didn't exist. It was just an image. Um, at, which wow. point, at which point he returned everybody's money because now he had a proof point that said, hey, people are willing to buy this technology. He's, he changed his brand um, after he returned all the money. Let me, let me double down on that. He yeah, returned yeah. all the money. <laughs> yeah. um, but now, now he had a proof point that said people are willing to buy it. And as a result, you know, he now runs a company that I think they're doing about a million in, in annual recurring revenue. They got about 20 guys on staff and they're, they're continuing to grow. So, wow. um, uh, you know, the uh, that's great. getting proof early in the process that people are willing to pay for the product you're building is hugely important. And that's a place where Kickstarter really comes in handy. Yeah. So, you know, running a Kickstarter is a, a real busy time of the, you know, 30 days or so that usually the campaigns are active and all, all the work leading up to it. Um, and then it sounds like you've got a lot going on around you as well. Um, so what do you do or what are techniques that you do to stay organized, to stay on top of stuff, not letting, you know, information slip through the cracks? Um, kind of how do you manage your, your life in terms of this sort of digital day-to-day that we're in right now? Sure. So I, I subscribe to Inbox Zero. So I push really hard to get my email down to zero every day. I'm unsuccessful every day, but I, I push hard to get it done. Um, for me, I found that hiring a full-time uh, administrative assistant was critical. Um, and so I employ, and for the last several years, I've employed somebody full-time to help run my schedule um, and to to help me take jobs off my plate. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, hiring competent staff, you know, when you're the, the way I like to think about startup is on day one, when it's just you or just you. And, um, I strongly recommend against starting a company by yourself. Um, there's too much to do. And I strongly recommend finding a co-founder, working out a partnership agreement or, or whatever in advance and signing it and then starting the company either with one or two co-founders. I know very few solo founders who are successful and the ones that I do know that are successful, um, a lot of times have psychological challenges associated with it because it's just too much. But um, yeah. 
But anyway, on, on day one, you or your co-founders are wearing all the hats, right? So your marketing, your product development, your finance, your every single role in the company. And the goal as a CEO is, well, the first job of the CEO is to make, make sure the company doesn't run out of money. And the second job of the CEO is to make sure the company doesn't run out of money. But, but once you've done those two jobs, the goal is to take those hats off and give each hat to somebody who's better at that job than you are. So to find somebody who's good at marketing, I take the marketing hat off and I give it to her. To find somebody who's a great operator, in our case, that's Nate, our COO, who's fantastic at it. I take that off and pass it to him, and now operations are squared away. I take the CTO hat off. I take the, um, you know, someday I'd like to take the fundraising hat off. Um, take the the business development hat off. Take the, uh, you know, the community management in our case hat off. And and in each case, give it to somebody who's better at that position, better qualified, better trained than you are. And at the end of the day, you build a company where everybody is better at their job than you are. And if you play your cards just right, and I've I've done this at the ISP. Um, you take off the last hat and you still get paid and that's awesome. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you, you move forward from there and maybe go start a new project or a, a new company. That's cool. That's cool. Well, let's flip over to the actual Kickstarter. Why, why we're talking. So, uh, we're talking today, you've got 23 days to go on the day that we're talking. There's over 947 back or 947 backers. Um, you had a goal of 50,000 and you're currently right now sitting at 153, 169. That is, so you're doing very well in this campaign. Um, so what was sort of the strategy kind of leading up to this one? You've already had a, a successful Kickstarter in your bag, but how did you guys approach this campaign um, to hit the success that you've hit? Okay, so prepare, 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 prepare. Um, you know, we started preparing for this campaign four months ago. Um, I had a full-time staff of five people doing nothing but prepare for this campaign. Uh, you know, we reached out. Uh, everybody on my team was responsible for pre-selling a minimum of 10 units to friends and family uh, and getting those friends and family to back the, back the Kickstarter uh, within the first hour, right? Um, yep. We had a thunderclap that we set up where we, we ended up, I think it was two or 300 people joined our thunderclap, which gave us social reach to 150,000 people. Um, that those tweets and those Facebook posts all went out in a single minute at the very beginning of the campaign. Uh, we're lucky in that we're with Techstars and we have a good relationship with the team at Kickstarter, um, both from our first campaign and through the Techstars network. Um, and so we were able to reach out to Kickstarter and get feedback on the campaign before it launched um, so that they could get a better understanding of what we were doing and we could get a better understanding of, of where we sat within their their focus. Um, you know, the, the marketing plan was in place in advance. Um, we budgeted a substantial amount of money for marketing, although interestingly, we were unable to deploy it cause we couldn't spend it fast enough. So we have a lot, we have a lot of that left over. Um, and then, you know, being credible, like making sure that, that, you know, through the Mark one, you know, there's two ways to do build credibility. In our case, we build credibility by actually doing stuff because none of us have Harvard or, Google or Stanford on our, on our resume, um, right. you know, building something that's credible, actually building these demos, shooting a great video, like all of that stuff played into it. And so, you know, when we walked into it on hour one, we were very confident we would hit our goal. Eventually the question just became how fast. And in our case, we did it in six and a half hours. Um, yeah. And then from there, you have to capture that momentum and continue to push forward. And that involves both paid marketing and, you know, continuing to, to uh, uh, engage with your, your community, both on Kickstarter and off Kickstarter. So we, we've been pushing very hard on that as well. Um, and then finally, building something that people want to buy is also helpful. Yeah. 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 Having a good product yeah. that, that helps. Uh, that's cool. Is there anything been kind of standing out in your dashboard or anything that's weird that you're looking at some of the data and going, Hmm, I, I wasn't expecting, I don't know, we're big in New Zealand or something. I, I don't know. Is there anything that's, that struck you as odd or weird? Uh, nothing weird. I mean, we're, we have a lot of engagement in Scandinavia. Um, but of course the Scandinavian countries are really heavily involved in, in, uh, in the open source community. And so that's not really, shouldn't really be a, a huge surprise. Um, you know, we were, we were really blessed to have a fairly well balanced incoming traffic. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, it, it was an honor to be, 
become a staff favorite, like in the first couple of hours, I think, and, and get featured as, um, you know, one of the, the fastest moving Kickstarters, both, you know, on Kickstarter and then on KickTrack and on other sites. So, um, so yeah, all of that, that has been very positive, but nothing that, that really pops other than, you know, six and a half hours was a bit faster than we thought we'd hit the, we'd hit the goal. So that was, that was a blessing and that was pretty exciting. Yeah. So, um, again, busy time right now in the middle of the Kickstarter campaign. So what are you doing to sort of make sure that you're keeping up with comments and, you know, uh, somebody says something over on Facebook or somebody says something on Reddit. Is it back to having somebody kind of managing the campaign day in and day out? Oh yeah. We have four full-time people working the campaign all day, every day. We have a daily standup. We've been having a daily standup at 8am every day for months. Um, they're continuing that, um, Nate, and his team are running comments. Uh, Kathy, who runs our community, is managing the community aspects. My co-founder, Chris Adair, is dealing with the social media aspects. Um, they're pr- continuing to produce videos. They're planning for stretch goals, um, some of which were pre-planned, some of which are kind of we're doing on the fly. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of... Uh, there's a, a continuing to be a ton of work uh, going into it. You know, the, the Kickstarter campaign... And I have to tell you, I, I had sort of forgotten this when we walked into it because I remember all the great stuff that now I do. Remember all the great stuff that came from our first Kickstarter, but when we originally started this one, I was—I personally was looking at it more from the financial component and how it positions us for fundraising, right? Mm-hmm. And I forgot all of the recognition from media and how that plays into it. All the partners that reach out as a result of seeing you on Kickstarter, right. like all of the the recognition, it really is, you know, your four week window to have the spotlight like globally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more people you have working full time to execute on that, the more potential partners, investors, you know, distribution channels, um, uh, that you can, you can put in place as the Kickstarter progresses. Sure. Sure. That's cool. So what do you do? I mean, I guess, you know, you've kind of mentioned a little bit of, but is there an actual plan though, to keep that momentum going? You mentioned how important it is and, and we say the same thing over here, but, but what, what can you do to keep it going? Is it backer updates? Is it just continue to email your, your uh, email list? What do you do to keep the energy going? So lots of backer updates, uh, uh, definitely making sure to add stretch goals as we go, uh, constant communication through social uh, social channels and reaching out to each individual backer and seeing if they will, you know, bring in two additional backers, right? Um, you know, push, 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 push. You're, by the end day 30, everyone in your whole network should be completely and totally exhausted because you've contacted them 60 times in the last 30 days and asked them to help in one way or another. And, you know, the, the, you know, that's how hard you should push. There's a, a inclination, especially on behalf of technical people to not want to quote unquote blow up somebody's inbox or to, you know, to contact people too much. And, yep. you know, you gotta, you gotta avoid, you know, be polite, but avoid the instinct to, you know, to, to send a note just once and trust that people are going to hear you. You know, if you, if you, uh, you know, if you put your idea in a bottle and if you, if you take your, you know, a lot of it's the same thing with ideas for a startup, right? Like a lot of people are like, Hey, I have this idea for a startup, but I need an NDA because otherwise somebody's going to steal it. But, right, right. Like the reality is, you know, if ideas had value, there'd be a market, you could buy them and sell them. There isn't. Yeah, exactly. Right. 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 Execution has value and execution takes resources. Yep. So just like the Kickstarter with an idea, if you have an idea and you think it's good, fax it to a hundred people in the industry and ask them their opinion. If you're lucky, five of them will read it and two of them will give you your opinion. I mean, never forget that the Google team walked into Yahoo and basically offered up their technology on a silver plate for pennies on the dollar. And Yahoo said, Oh, search isn't going to be a thing. Right. I mean, (laughs) nobody's going to steal your idea. And in the same with the Kickstarter, like nobody's going to, um, uh, People who have value in your life are not going to get upset that you pushed really, really hard. There's always a D-bag out there that will be like, quit bothering me. Oh, yeah. But, you know, that's the exception to the rule. And he can go, he or she can go back into their parents' basement where they belong. Yep. Yeah. It, it's funny how, and I don't know what that is in the wiring of, of the startup land, but that's what we deal with all the time of just people not really understanding how big the world is or how much communication everybody is getting. And you're just one of 
a thousand emails I got on a Tuesday, you know, like, you know, so if you only send one and we get that so often where people are like, I, I mean, I've reached out already. I already emailed that person. They didn't open it. Yeah. Email them another hundred times. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Change, like, okay. change the subject line and send it again. Like, like push and push and push and push and push until you, until you get that guy to at least say no. I mean, right, that's right. the, yeah. that's, that's the sign of a successful sales funnel. Is not that I have a hundred people in my sales funnel and I've got two no's. The sign of a successful sales funnel is I have a hundred people in the funnel, ninety-five have said no, and I got a firm yes from the other five. That's a win right there. Yep. Oh, hundred percent. Yep. Hundred percent. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, it's good. It's good that you're you're validating my uh, my some of my practices as well right now. I'm not nuts. Yeah, so you're not good. not at all. Like it, it's. You know, in a world that's full of everybody relentlessly promoting themselves, don't be the guy that's shy, um, yep. at least when you've got something to promote. Yeah. So, so let's, let's, what happens? So, you got 23 days to go, obviously, in the campaign right now. Um, you know, a couple of weeks for all the money to drop and all the, the sort of the data to all play out for you. What starts to happen after the campaign? Sure. So we, we're already uh, executing agreements um, that we had pre-negotiated, but we had held off on either payment or signature until we got a better idea of where the Kickstarter was going to land. Uh, now that we've got a good idea, we're bringing AWARE uh, to Kansas City on February 22nd and 23rd to hammer out the final milestones and uh, both the carrots and the stick in their agreement in terms of uh, delivery dates. Uh, and getting those guys moving in a serious way. They, we already contracted with them to help us with the bill of materials so we could price the device, but we hadn't pulled the trigger on actually having all the detailed design work wrapped up. Um, so that'll, that'll start. Uh, the software team will continue. I mean, the, the software for the Mark I is the same software on the Mark II. The only difference is we're adding some animations. Um, they're going to continue pushing hard. Uh, we've got a couple of... Uh, Community initiatives coming up. We we need help training the AI. So for you know by default, all of the data that we receive is deleted. Uh, we the only place we keep data is if a user actively goes through and says, "I want to share my data to improve the technology." Right. Mm. So when they click that checkbox, we start collecting uh, their utterances and we feed them into what what will end up being an open data set for members of our community to go in and tag. So a, a good example of a piece of data that would need to be tagged is, you know, we get a three second audio clip. Did they say, hey, Mycroft, or was it a false activation? And they said Microsoft. Right. So they they click yes or no. And we feed that into the machine learning algorithm and the, the, the wake word spotting gets more accurate. Right. Um, the same for missed intents. So, um, hey, Mycroft, what's your favorite color? Right, that's not something we have an answer for. So we're we're building a crowdsourcing mechanism to allow the crowd to tag blue or whatever the crowd, whatever the community decides is going to be Mycroft's favorite color. Um, so we have a couple of tools being built like that, and then uh, the big rock for me personally is international language support. So we we built all the original tools in English. Uh, we actually now have Portuguese, French, Spanish, and German in the works in a serious way. With I think Spanish, French, and possibly German running. Uh, no, Spanish, French, and Portuguese are all up and running. We're still working German. Um, but one of the things that I see as a a big huge advantage for our community over the incumbents is that we are interested in supporting Hawaiian and Icelandic and Afrikaner and Hindi and other languages that the big tech either doesn't value people who speak those languages because they don't have quote unquote money um, or for whatever reason uh, isn't going to deploy their technology in those languages. So, uh, so after the Kickstarter, I will actually be taking a, a, pretty comprehensive world tour to go and start building communities to help to port Mycroft into, you know, ideally 500, 600 languages over the next five to 10 years. So whereas the, you know, the biggest of the big tech companies, I think supports 80. So, wow, um, interesting. so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that stuff going on. Um, you know, I, I'm very fortunate in that my team is largely complete. We do have, if you have listeners that are interested, we do have two positions I'm very interested in filling. Um, one is we're looking for an experienced B2B uh, sales professional to help us to manage relationships with some of the big corporate brands we're working with and, and move those uh, projects along in the sales process. Uh, and so somebody who'd had five or 10 years you know, selling to, to corporate America, we'd really value them reaching out to us. 
Um, and the other position as a backend developer, uh, you know, our, our backend systems, we've got two great developers in Brazil, um, but we'd, we'd like to bring one in uh, here in the States um, to help us with uh, uh, continuing to improve the backend so that we can support more users effectively. That's cool. So where do you see, you know, open voice assistant, where do you see the next, you know, really, you know, for this product, maybe 24 months, you know, because it's moving so quickly, but where, where do you see the future kind of this tech going? Okay. So distant future, like five to 10 years is, uh, is very clear to me, right? Which is an AI that runs anywhere and interacts exactly like a person. So 10 years from now, whether it's us or Google or Amazon or Hound, or there's a couple others out there, um, we will all have technology stacks in place where when you interact with it, you will, it'll be very difficult for you to tell whether or not you're talking to a person. It's going to be very hard. And those technologies are going to be deployed in self-driving cars. Uh, a big location will be call centers um, oh. and, and in other applications uh, globally. So the long distant, distant future is actually fairly easy for me to see. Um, in the next 24 months, you know, we were, the Mycroft stack is in alpha right now. Uh, it goes to beta on February 28th. Uh, we'll be in beta for a full year. Um, the beta release is reasonably user friendly, but it's still going to have a lot of a lot of sharp edges. Um, mm-hmm. We go to production in February of 2019, and within a year of that, we should have a. Uh, when we go to production, the user experience will be very similar to what you're seeing come out of the other tech companies. And a year later, we expect to surpass them on a number of different fronts, including customization, uh, including uh, prosody, cadence, and tone of the speech synthesis, and, and several other pieces that, that I think we can get ahead of them with the community. Uh, and you sh- you'll see over the next two years, not just the embedded device that we're shipping, uh, but also desktop applications for Windows and uh, uh, OS X, as well as uh, apps for iOS and Android um, so you'll be able to interact with the Mycroft stack, you know, whatever you chose to name it, whether you chose to name it Bob or Mycroft or Trinity or whatever, um, across your entire, you know, every point you touch technology. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about where we're headed with it. That's cool. When you're working in a tech company like this and, you know, are there conversations amongst you and your partners of, are there anything that's, bad that's coming out of this right like you know imagining at some point you can't even tell if you're talking to a human or a robot right like like do you ever have those conversations of what does that do in society and i I bring this up too because you know all the talk of like facebook ads and google ads and the uh impact on the election and all that sort of stuff right where it's like boy we never really would have thought of that do you guys as a tech company ever have conversations like that yeah, we have we have a lot of conversations about it. There's actually a really nice eight minute video of a presentation I gave at Singularity University this past summer, um, where I explicitly talk about the implications of artificial intelligence to work. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is if these technologies are bottled up in a few companies, the way that search has been bottled up in one company, right? The way that that retail is increasingly being bottled up in, the, in another company out of Seattle. And I, I, I think that people drastically underestimate the impact that Amazon is going to have to retail in the next 10 years. Oh, yeah. Like we're, totally. all, we're already totally. seeing a bloodbath in retail, but it, it, the, the real bloodbath has not come. It's not even close to being done. Um, there's a real danger that these artificial intelligence technologies, uh, if they are contained in a few companies, um, will end up decimating employment um, in a variety of different different industries, the same way that those companies have decimated employment in media and publishing, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, and so, you know, what we view our role in it is opening it up so that it's not, you don't have to be a tech giant to deploy a voice assistant. Um, you can do it in your basement, you know, in your garage, you know, in your community. You know, you can do it as a STEM project in high school. Um, you can do it as a small business, and if you think of it now, like General Dynamics um, runs call centers for a number of different things. Uh, FAFSA, for example, a free application for financial aid, that's a General Dynamics call center uh, in my hometown that employs 1,200 people, right? Yeah. Um, right now, only companies the size of General Dynamics can do that. But as technologies like Mycroft uh, come to maturity and provided they're open, that opens the way for somebody who's got a startup with three people in it to service 50,000 phone calls a day, 
Mm. Right. Interesting. Right. And, and that becomes a big opportunity, but only if the technologies are open, not if they're locked up in just a few Silicon Valley giants. And so that's really the role that we play is democratizing this technology and leveling the playing field so that everybody has access to it. Because you're that's right, awesome. call, call center jobs have have a timer on them. If you're a truck driver, your job has a timer on it. If you're a cab driver, your job has a tri- timer on it. The question becomes... You know, can we use these technologies in a positive way to create alternative employment? For instance, instead of being a call center worker, you could be an AI trainer, right? right. And help to train the AI to make it smarter. Um, can we create opportunities for those folks in new industries? And, you know, given that we're in full employment today, right, as in here in the United States, so we're 4% unemployment, that's full employment. Um, you know, I think that the answer to that question is yes, uh, but open technologies play an important role in that. That's great. That's great. So where can people find out more information outside of the Kickstarter? How do people dive into your world and kind of follow what you're doing and what the company's doing? How how do people reach out? Sure. Uh, At Mycroft.ai, we've got a very, very active community forum. If you just click on chat up at the top, you can join our our, um, Mattermost chat group where we have always have tons and tons of community members in there discussing various different components and offering help. Um, We've got a community forum where people go a little bit more in depth on various different questions. Um, and, and, uh, you know, folks also can access our documentation if they want to play with the technology, you know, as an open piece of tech, you can pull Mycroft down and run it on a $35 raspberry Pi that you bought at your local, uh, your local, uh, electronics store. So pull down Pycroft, install it, put a little mic and speaker on it, start playing with it. And maybe you can come up with the next killer app for voice. Very, very cool. Well, Joshua, I think I appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know it's a busy time right now in the middle of a Kickstarter, but uh, this is a great conversation. And uh, um, I'm glad we got to pick your brain a little bit and, and hear what's going on in your world because a uh, great product, great Kickstarter campaign. And you, I'm sure you're going to have a big campaign here over the next 23 days. So uh, I wish you a lot more luck. And thanks so much, man. We're very excited. Thank you so much for your support. All right. I told you. What a conversation. Joshua, thank you again so much for taking time out of day. Go over to Kickstarter right now, search Mycroft, and go become a backer. Get one of these great units for your home and uh, start jumping into the voice assistant world because it's coming. It is coming fast. So song we'll listen to is a song called Say You Will. Uh, what record was this on? I think this was on the Sugar People record, wasn't it? I don't even remember anymore. But I hope you guys enjoy it. I'll talk to you all probably next week. And uh, remember, go join the, go subscribe to the mini cast. Each day I'm going to be putting out some tips, tutorials, and techniques around crowdfunding. Until then, I'll talk to you all later. Remember, this song is called Say You Will. Go over to Spotify now and check it out.